What's going on, y'all? Your boy Sundays with Jeff, and I am back hitting y'all with the New Year podcast. You know what time it is. I had to bless. Give you a little something to think about. Been watching some movies, of course, catching up on all the Oscar stuff and watching Bright on Netflix and just really trying to tap into as much entertainment as possible. And uh, definitely have been some home runs, have been some ones that haven't been as good as others, you know, and some that you kind of expect they are what they are. And uh, let's just jump on in to talk about some things. So, of course, with Bright dropping on Netflix, it's accessible to almost everybody because everybody and their mom has a Netflix account or is borrowing from their grandparents, their their brother, their sister to use theirs. Uh, Shout out to Hugh Steph, still on my account. Uh, But Bright, a film by David Ayer, starring Will Smith, Joe Edgerton, who's just murdering it the past, you know, three, four years. Beyond that, I've always been a big fan of him and his work. And, of course, Will Smith is always uh, top of his game. But really, you know, one of the things about this film is it's Netflix putting almost a hundred mil up to make a movie that's not hitting the theaters, which is it's a risk. It's risky and it's it's outside the box, and that's why I think Netflix is creating its own box, its own world, and success or no success, it's 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 something that's that's different. And I don't think a lot of people are really you know too aware of that. You think most people just oh, it's a Netflix film. Which is cool, but they don't understand the, a lot of the backing that goes behind it and what it took to get that thing in into Netflix and you know what type of risk it really is. So David Ayer, who of course last film was Suicide Squad, this movie has a lot of hints of that. A lot of production design is the same. I wouldn't be surprised if it had the same costume and set designer as a Suicide Squad. I could be wrong, uh, but a lot of that vision from Suicide Squad translates over to this film, which is not good for me because I really didn't like the... A lot of the set design and costume design for Suicide Squad, I thought it felt real generic, real, you know, cliche of if you go to this Halloween store, well, I need a, I need a, what, a, what a gangster would look like. This is what they look like, you know. So I didn't really care for that. I did like Deadshot's look, and I did like Harley Quinn's look. Those were fantastic to me, but some of the others just didn't land. Like, of course, Killer Croc, who you can see some Killer Croc inspiration in this thing uh, of Bright. And I didn't love Suicide Squad. I didn't necessarily hate it. It didn't land after, of course, going back and rewatching. It is a hot mess as far as storytelling and, you know, just the end with all the CGI and, you know, the villain. Didn't work for the story they were telling. They should have kept it more down, down to earth, more grounded. If you're going to set up a team of six that have some skills that are above your normal humans, but they're certainly not meta like Superman's. Uh, you need to keep the villain grounded. The Joker would have certainly worked in that position. David Ayres came out and said that, of course, going forward. Uh, so Bright kind of operates in that same way. You have to suspend some disbelief for the world that they're in. Uh, it's definitely a film that has a lot of undertones. That, you know, they're not really undertoned. They're they're definitely coming at you full for full force with some cues with some cues of racism and you know what it's like to be an outcast or different but just wanting to fit in or be a part and do the right thing so that's definitely in the forefront of this film and kind of the storyline that you hear all the way through which is fantastic i do like some of that now some of it they, it's a little heavy hand especially in the beginning where they're really setting up the story and again some of the costume and set design is cheap i don't like the way they decorate the you know the the, the L.A. Ganger, gang guys, and it, it just doesn't work for me necessarily. Uh, the storytelling, of course, it's kind of a, a mixed mash of 
South Central meets uh, Boys in the Hood meets Lord of the Rings. So it's kind of a mashup. I don't know if people are saying it's super original. It's not. It's a, it's an original concept, kinda, <laughs> but not necessarily. It's kind of more of a mashup. Which, from the mind of Max Landis, it makes sense. The dude's a little bit all over the place, but he is a creative cat, and uh, definitely something that's outside the box. And you get to see orcs, elves, of course, humans, and they're chasing. You know, it becomes this this chase, which is really where the movie kicks off is where the wand comes into play. Uh, so if you haven't seen it yet, I won't go too much into spoilers. But the film is okay. It's not great. It's nothing I want to go back and see again. It didn't land with me where I'm like, man, this is my movie. But it does it does hit in some points. There's some good acting stuff. Some of the stuff as far as some of the the the, the writing isn't really spectacular or maybe it's just how it's delivered but the performances are solid of course you got will smith and uh, joe edgerton it really can bring the material up a few notches but it's just one of those movies i'm more impressed by netflix taking a risk and making the film by what i am of the actual film itself so the film is cool it definitely it's it's a fun watch you know once you get into it it definitely, it definitely is. It's well done. It's a Hollywood movie. You tell the budget is there. Uh, in some places, some places you could see the CG pretty, pretty uh, visibly, and I didn't care for that. But the story is unique and kind of gives you that perception of you know. What, and there's some questions that are really cool that they ask. You know, what would you do if you had that kind of power? And you know, how would it change or impact you? Which is always a cool question to ask in any film. Uh, but Overall, the film was solid. I'm not going anything above that. It wasn't great. It wasn't you know phenomenal. It's not a second watch for me. Just a one timer, and I'm I'm good. I've seen it. I'm with the rest of the people in in the world. On to the next one, which I believe Scorsese has one coming, The Irishman, on Netflix, which again is going to be in the upwards cost, I believe, of 100 plus. And uh, I'm excited to see that he's using the de-aging techniques that we've seen in Iron Man and, I'm sorry, that we've seen in Avengers and that we'll see, of course, and uh, that we've seen in Guardians of the Galaxy and we'll continue to see, you know, Rogue One across the board. It's really become more popular as actors are aging and getting older. It's a cool, it's a cool uh, technology, but still, it still needs some work. So I'm curious to see how it's going to work with a film like that on Netflix and if they'll give it the proper time and care. Uh, so that... That has me excited for sure, uh, and I didn't really give too much of a review for the Last Jedi uh, because I had shot a movie, a film review for it with video, and unfortunately, uh, when I shot it, I edited it, had a 26-minute video down to 16 minutes, and trust me, it took me every bit of two days to edit it down to really get it tight, and I ended up deleting the edit cut. So I just gave up on it. I'm not going back and re-editing everything that could be said about the film has been said about the film. I'm not adding anything new to the conversation at this point. I had the same gripes as most. The Luke Skywalker lightsaber throw over the shoulder, not very good. Didn't love it. Didn't land for me. Literally, it didn't land for me. Like he, There should have been more of a moment where he takes it, even puts it away on his shelf where in Octu. Uh, it, just, it just didn't work. Uh, the Rey storyline with Kylo Ren was strong. Loved that interaction. Uh, the Snoke getting you know out and early didn't care for that. He was so powerful. I'm not mad that he's gone. It's okay. I'm glad Kylo Ren's going to become the primary uh, villain. But as far as Snoke, I would like to see him maybe linger to the third so we can really see his true powers and see Kylo Ren take him out at that point. But you know it is what it is. That didn't land. Uh, the Canto bite stuff terrible i mean it just was a shoehorn way to get finn into the story which we need finn we want finn but the relationship with him arose 
it's never going to live up to the relationship with him and Ray because, of course, that was how we were introduced. And there was just a fun buoyancy to the relationship where they, you know, really just seemed like two naive kids that were put into this adventure together. Where the Rose and Finn storyline feels like let's force in a storyline to get these two characters in. It's not really going to tie back to the entire film. Uh, Leia, you know, using the Force, which most book readers would know, Yoda said she was more powerful in the Force than even Luke, and he wanted to train her instead. That works for me because, of course, I had that insight, but I know why it doesn't work for most people because it's not befitting to what they have seen and what they have instead of what they have read. So, you know, that I wasn't crazy about, but what, it didn't take me out of the film. Uh, the film's pacing was a bit uneven. The jokes, especially in the beginning, went almost on the border of Austin Powers. Who, you know, it worked in, in Force Awakens, which they tried to do in this one is the setup because, of course, Kylo Ren is so deadpan. So there's, there was no emotion when him and, um, him and Poe were having that conversation. Who talks first? You talk, I talk. It really works. It didn't go to the point of, point of parody where with Hux and Poe, it starts off strong and then it just kind of lingers a bit too long where it becomes like, man, are they parodying this thing? It feels like Austin Powers where, uh, Will Ferrell falls in the, in the pit. And he's burning. It just it just didn't work. And I think it was because of how Hux maybe played it, not so much Poe, and just because they let it go too long. Uh, the, the humor didn't always land to brush your shoulders off. I didn't love uh, that much either. It's a weird choice for a film set how it's set. It wasn't terrible. I mean, it's not the worst moment in the movie. Uh, but it wasn't what I wanted. I did want to see more of a hero's journey for Luke. And we did get Luke... It basically coming one with the force which is as hero, heroic as it could get but you want to see a little bit more maybe a little bit more out of him training Rey I just felt like they they cut that storyline off a little too short to bring in some other storylines that didn't really need a lot of uh, love or attention the Canto Bite they could have left out and really just bulked the story up with Kylo, Luke, Rey, Snoke the Poe stuff with Leia and that's really where the heart and the meat of the story needed to be and stay. And it would have kept it a little tighter, kept the storytelling a little bit more focused. But I get it. You're branching out other stories to tell more stories later in the Star Wars universe. So that's okay to me. I mean, I didn't love the movie. I, I really enjoyed it. I really liked it. It's definitely something that I will watch more than once, of course. But as far as love, when I first came out, I wasn't in love with it. I really liked it, of course, and, you know, obligated to almost because you're into that. You get to see the characters and the storylines, of course. But uh, Yoda popping up, my God, that, that was just epic. The the puppetry of Frank Oz was all over. Fingerprints was all over that thing. So had to give props there. That that was done, done the right way and really was a, a great callback uh, to the Empire Strikes Back film. And I, I certainly was one of my highlights of the film for me. And, uh, you know, the relationships are always where, where the meat of the film is. The Force Awakens had a bounciness to it where you were, you know, it didn't give you barely any room for breathing. You hit scene, 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 scene. But you still felt like there were stories, some stuff to uncover. And I know a lot of people hated it. Oh, it's too much like New Hope. And I know a lot of people didn't like this one because it wasn't like anything. So if they can find that middle ground, which I think they can, I think this last one they will, I'm hoping. Uh, where they not only pay honor to the characters the right way, tell the story the right way, but also give us some payoff. Because, you know, Ray being no one from nowhere, that works in some stories. Uh, and and I, I don't need everything to be connected necessarily. But for this story, you want some connected tissue. Uh, you want her to be more than, than nobody from nowhere. Because nobody from nowhere, that's cute when you're building another broom Jedi at the end. But 
for her, her story is kind of propelled and built off that. And so I know Ryan Johnson has since came out and said that that isn't necessarily her story, that she could be someone from somewhere uh, now because I think he knows he made a, a little bit of a mistake in that choice there, which it happens. You're not perfect, and there's a lot of different visions at play, and a lot of people in the sandbox. And this felt like a commercial for a Ryan Johnson trilogy. Not, And that's what I loved about it, but it's also what I disliked about it. It's a trilogy set up because he's getting his own trilogy show hey look i can make you know cool worlds and tell cool stories within a universe but it didn't necessarily carry on the energy and the soul from the force awakens which carried the energy and soul from the previous ones as you heard in the response from some fans who thought it was a rehash which i was all good with that i like plays on nostalgia but it also set up new characters which i wanted to see more of which some some group kylo ren is still one of my favorite villains not just in star wars but out there period truly conflicted we don't know his agenda because he don't know his agenda he's so conflicted he's so torn and adam driver portrays that so well uh so they did some really good things in this film some really poor things uh but overall it's a tough it was a good movie so at least want to talk about a little bit and let you guys know how i felt about it and i'm certainly excited for han solo even with the two different director direct three different the (laughs) the directors uh change with now of course ron howard driving the ship exciting to see what he's going to do with it and of course they've said many times it's the best star wars script ever so we'll see we'll give it a shot we'll definitely see what happens uh with it but i'm glad uh that they got out there like some some help in there because they were saying it was a little austin powersy uh not a little uh, ace ventura like which i couldn't do any more of that after after feeling like i seen austin powers in the first 10 minutes of that film i want i don't need it to be dead dead serious but and some lev- some le- levity and some humor, it works, but in spots, and it's got to feel right to the story. You don't want it just shoehorned in there like anything. You know, you want it to feel natural and honest to what the, to what the story is and the character. Uh, so I'm okay with some swagger and all that, but I don't want him hamming it up. Alrighty then, none of that, man. Don't don't clown the world. You know, that's what made <laughs> the Christmas stuff so rough. Uh, so. Uh, you know, as as we jump on forward, though, there's some great films that I've had the chance to see as well outside of Star Wars and DC and Marvel. Uh, the Disaster Artist, James Franco, Dave Franco, phenomenal film. I tell you what, just great performances. They really uh, treat that story with love. Uh, you could really par- that's another thing where you can really parody it, and it gives you. It's crazy how you can make a good film about the worst film ever, and it still give you some hope. Like those are two guys, Tommy Wusso uh, and Greg. I forget his last name, but uh, they made the room. I mean, it wasn't great, but it's still well loved all these years later. And it's got a movie made about the making of it. <laughs> so it's like a movie within a movie within a movie. It's but the performances are great. The humor is is hilarious, even when it's not trying to be. Uh, the James Franco man. The, delivers he's been delivering as of late i know some people are mixed on him but i'm not i've always been a fan i think he's i think he's legit uh, dave franco is a beast as well he has just like a a child a childish charm to him which really plays well against the more the more uh established wuzo who he's still kind of a, a dreamy eyed dreamer who's he's just kind of straightforward but we don't know who he is where he's from or what he's about uh so that really worked in that film and i enjoyed it and uh, I thought everybody did their thing in it. And even in the bits we got, as far as uh, Seth Rogen, I thought he was fantastic. And I thought it was it's one of the better films I've seen this year. I was excited to see it and glad, glad that I got to see it. I did not hit her. Um, three billboards. Uh, just 
spectacular. The three billboards of Wyoming or something like that. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, but wow, performances out of this world. Sam Rockwell, Woody Harrelson, they of course, you know, kill it as they always do. But it is a, it's kind of a heartbreaking dark comedy. I don't, and I don't necessarily call it a comedy, but it's dark. There's really no resolution to the storyline that we get set up with. But overall, it is a movie that is, is just breathtaking. It's, it's a breath of fresh air. It's different. You want to talk about different people? I want to see different. It's a different type of story. You don't necessarily get to see all the time in Hollywood or, you know, with films. And it didn't do a whole lot of box office, but it was fantastic. And it, there were so many curveballs and so many relationships that end up being uh, relationships that I didn't think they were going to happen or go that way. Uh, but still fantastic. And Woody Harrelson, man, he's been killing it as of late. And it's three billboards outside of Ebbing. Missouri, way off <laughs> on that. It, but it, you guys would have Googled that and never found the movie. But it is, you know, as far as performances, as far as, you know, storytelling, acting, it is so different compared to what I've seen lately. And I was excited to see it. It's kind of a brush, breath of fresh air. Frances McDormand uh, kills it. I mean, her performance is, is layered. Uh, Peter Dinklage does his thing. And it's going to get a lot of Oscar love and Oscar nods. So definitely, if you guys haven't checked it out, when you get the chance, check it out. See it. It's worth it. Uh, and the last one I want to talk about before I sign off here is, of course, uh, Call Me By Your Name with Army Hammer. And let me see. What is his name? He was from Interstellar. Oh, boy. And he does a terrific job. Let me see if I can pull it here. Full cast and crew. Army Hammer plays this, you know, good-looking, charming guy that comes in to study with Michael Stolberg's character, Mr. Perlman, hitting Army Hammer's character's name's Oliver, Timothy Chalamet, I believe, Chalamet, I'm probably saying that wrong, but he plays Elio, the son of Mr. Perlman, which is Michael Stolberg, 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 I'm saying all their names wrong, doesn't matter, uh, but it's a terrific coming-of-age story. Uh, a summertime coming of age, you know, romance buds, uh, forbidden almost, but you know it's really played well and with a a care that it should have been played with. And is it my favorite movie? No. Is it outside of my typical box? Absolutely. But the performances, as always, drive the film. And Michael Stolberg, Stolberg, I'm about to Google it. <laughs> he gives a speech at the end to his son. That is just if if you make it through, wait at least make it through to that. It is it's one of those every you know every actor is waiting for that moment to deliver that speech. Incredible, incredible, and uh, it's definitely worth a watch. It's it's not for everybody. I will say that it's definitely not for everybody. But if you're into a really well done love story uh, that's got some heartbreak and it's not too over the top, it's a little bit more straightforward. They cut out a lot of the fat. It's not the Notebook and it's bigness and you know expansive storytelling it's a little bit more straightforward of a narrative and it's getting a lot of love and i think you'll see uh this one show up on a lot of oscar lists so definitely keep an eye out for it and uh there's been a lot of other ones i've watched mudbound was terrific and of course uh the mary j brings it and i'm gonna continue to keep watching some stuff as it drops and as it comes out oh i tanya 
What a dark, twisted movie. It wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, but it was definitely worth the watch. That joint is twisted. And uh, Margot Robbie continues to show why she is one of the best actresses in Hollywood. She's diverse. She can do just about anything. And I'm excited to see where her career goes uh, in that film. It's worth It's worth it. I did Some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, I know it's a little bit exaggerated, but it's entertaining as hell. So if you haven't checked it out, I tell you it's another one to watch. But that's all I got for this episode of Sundays with Jeff, the podcast. You know what time it is. Every Sunday I'm dropping this, so stay tuned and holla at me. Peace.